the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. It's a dangerous thing to always read the Bible as an observant, you know, outsider and think that it all applies to somebody else, all right? It's important for us to put ourselves in the story and not to twist Scripture, you know, to make an application that isn't there, but at least to insert ourselves and to ask, you know what, Jesus is rebuking some people here. Is it possible that if he were to evaluate my life, he might see some of the same things in me. Spiritual leaders during Jesus' time didn't want to admit who Jesus was or acknowledge Him as Lord. Even today, many religious leaders will try to convince you that it's easier to follow a bunch of rules in the hopes of getting into heaven and to believe in the one true God. In today's message, Pastor Gary will explain that Jesus came to fulfill the law so that ceremonial regulations and rituals are not needed anymore. It's now about having a relationship with Jesus. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 11, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Luke chapter 11 is where we are. We left off at the section there in verse 33 where my Bible is subtitled, The Lamp of the Body. And so let me read here verse 33 down through verse 36. Jesus speaking here. If you have a red-letter Bible, it shows it all in red. And it tells us this, verse 33, Jesus said, No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand, so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you." All right, you got it? I mean, there's a lot in there about eyes and good eyes, bad eyes, light, dark, lamps, you know, and and walking in light, walking in darkness. What is he talking about? What does all this mean? Well, you know, if you grew up in the church in Sunday school, you remember remember singing about this little light of mine, you know, I'm going to let it shine, uh, you know, don't let Satan blow it out. Remember that as a chem, he sang that as a little kid in Sunday school. Okay, so that's the beginning of what he's saying here. He's saying, look, You know, let the light shine. Now, in the context here, what he's really talking about here, when he's talking about the light or a lamp, he's talking about really a reference to his word and his works. So just in the margin of your Bible, you can just write that down, a reference to his word and his works. 
And basically, what he's saying is this. Here's basically a summary of these verses. What he's saying is that just as no one lights a lamp and then covers it, the word and work of God should be displayed for all to see. And he's talking here, Jesus is talking here in terms of two kingdoms, if you will. He talks here about the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And he's using these terms to illustrate the truth that he represents the kingdom of light and all that is good and right and pure and holy and true. And that the kingdom of darkness is really the kingdom of Satan, and that is everything that is evil and false and deceiving and manipulating and lying and wrong. That's the kingdom of darkness. So he's talking here about two kinds of kingdoms. There's a kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. So you have to remember now the context. He's talking to his critics. He's talking to his skeptics. There are people here who have tried to test him. They are trying to discredit him. And he comes along here and he basically is saying, listen, my word and my work are the picture of light and the kingdom of light. And you can't see because you refuse to believe. And because you refuse to believe, you don't belong and you're not a part of the kingdom of light. You're a part of the kingdom of darkness. And you're not walking in the light because you've not come into the truth. Now, these terms, light and darkness, Jesus uses often through the Gospels, particularly in the Gospel of John. You don't need to turn there, but you can make a reference in the margin of your Bible if you'd like. John 3 19 to 21, Jesus said this, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. He says there in John 3, 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his evil deeds will be exposed. And then he goes on, he says, but whoever lives by the truth, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So Jesus, speaking there in John 3 about the kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness, he says he's the light, he's come into the world, I'm the light of the world. If you want to walk in light, you have to walk in truth, you have to know me, surrender your life to me, and then you will walk in the light. And you will not be walking in blindness, in spiritual darkness. And further in John 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's John 8, 12. And so what he's basically saying here in somewhat of a veiled way is that the critics, the skeptics, the ones who don't believe, they're walking in darkness. They've not come into the light. They can't see. They're spiritually blind. But however, and this is the takeaway for us, when we have the word of God in us and see the work of God around us, we won't walk in the darkness of spiritual blindness. So it's about knowing the Word of God, seeing the work of God, coming into the light because you have relationship with Jesus, and then you won't be walking in darkness. But unfortunately, some of the people of Jesus' day, particularly the religious leaders, would not come into the light because they didn't acknowledge Jesus as Lord. They didn't see Him as Messiah. They didn't surrender their lives to His Lordship. So Jesus calls them out in here, and He basically says, you're walking in darkness. You don't have the light of the Lord. Well, further now, verse 37, your Bibles might be subtitled like mine is, Six Woes. Six Woes. And it tells us here in verse 37 that when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. 
And by the way, that's typical the way you'd eat in those days. You'd eat reclining, kind of on an elbow, around a center table. Everybody would be reclining at the same table, kind of like everybody would be positioned almost like spokes in a wheel, just kind of moving out from the center table. Now, what's interesting is this guy's a Pharisee. The Pharisee name by itself didn't mean that they were necessarily all legalistic and all, you know, about rules and regulations. Pharisee was just... It was a sect. It became associated with, you know, uh, people who were rigid and legalistic. But originally, you know, Pharisees were a sect of Jews, Sadducees, a sect of Jews. And they had a few different views about how things should be done, but they weren't necessarily all legalistic and rigid. This guy is of the sect of the Pharisees, and he asked Jesus to come have dinner with him. And Jesus goes with them. So, you know, note that. It's not, Jesus wasn't, you know, too good to socialize with anybody. He goes to the house of this Pharisee, and he's reclining at the table with him. But notice verse 38, but the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Now, Jesus just starts chowing down. And it wasn't that Jesus was unhygienic. That's not what, that's not what this is about. The Pharisee isn't noting you know, this guy doesn't practice some good hygiene here. You know, I don't know about you, but I kind of am a little hypersensitive about germs. I mean, you know, some people say you're a germaphobe. I'm not that bad, okay? If I know you really well, mainly family, you know, I'll drink out of your same cup. It's no big deal. But other than that, I will tend to be super cautious about washing hands and, you know, making sure you got the, you know, you got the sanitizer gel going and you got that whole deal going. And then, you know, when you exit a public restroom, how you have to, where's the trash can in relation to the door? Because then you're going to use the paper towel. Hopefully they don't have just the air drying things. If you have the air drying things, now you got to use your sleeve. And that's always a pain. But if you have the towels and you can use a towel and then you open up the door with the towel and then you stick your foot in the door so you can throw in the trash can. And if the trash can too far away, you're going to be doing a three-pointer from wherever you are in the bathroom, okay? The best scenario is when someone else comes in as you're ready to leave, and then you quickly dart out, and you don't have to touch a thing, okay? But that's not, it's not like Jesus is like, oh, yeah, I don't care about germs. I'm just going to sit down here and recline, and who really cares? The issue here that the Pharisee has with him is that he's not following the ceremonial regulations, and if you've done any homework at all, if you know anything about the ceremonial regulations that the Pharisees particularly had in hand washing, I mean, it was a whole regiment. It's a whole regiment. And even the day when you go to Israel, I mean, there's a regiment about the way you have to wash your hands and it can't drip a certain way. And, and even the cup that they use when they're washing their hands is two handles to it. So you don't dirty the same handle. You know, you're washing your hand this way and now you're picking up the other handle. It's crazy, but it's all more about the ceremonial thing. Because you see, in this day, and even to some degree today, there are some Jews who associate outward cleanliness with inward cleanliness. Now, there's a whole thing in the Levitical law. When you look at Leviticus, it can pretty much show that that's the case. There's a connection between hygiene and holiness. But it was only intended to point you to the ultimate holiness and hygiene that comes through the cleanliness of knowing God in a personal way. The law was put in effect to lead us to Christ. So Jesus comes along and he kind of, you know, is unconventional in the sense of he's not bound to the rigid ceremonial practices because he's about to point out here it's more about the heart than it is the external things. It's more about the internal than the external. 
And the Pharisees were all caught up in the external. External cleansing, external washing, external appearances. You know, it's how you look and it's what you do and it's really not all at all about, you know, who you are on the inside. And so, you know, Jesus no doubt knows this is going to rattle this guy, you know. And I, I sometimes wonder if Jesus has just a friendly smirk on his face, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't mean it in a bad, in a bad way. I'm saying a friendly smirk, just like he, he's, he's getting around the dinner table and he knows this is going to really tick this guy off because <laughs> I'm not washing my hands. And he just, maybe just sitting there, just kind of like a half grin, like, okay, this ought to be interesting. And, you know, I just sometimes picture Jesus that way. He knows what's coming down, okay? He's not caught off guard like, oh, Oh, I, I didn't wash my hands. You're right. I mean, he knows what's coming down here. And I think he's probably getting in a, a chuckle from the inside on all this deal. And the guy's like, hey, yeah, you haven't washed your hands. Well, verse 39, then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Whoa, about this point now, this guy's thinking, why do I invite this guy to dinner, you know? I mean, I'm married. I could have been insulted at home alone. I didn't, need to, I didn't need to invite this guy to come to dinner and insult me too. And here Jesus is, dinner guest. I mean, he's not holding back. I mean, he's going right for the juggler. He's like, hey, by the way, you clean the outside of the cup, outside of the dish, great. But inside you're full of greed and wickedness. How about that? Thanks for inviting me for dinner. And he goes on. Jesus says, you foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish... To the poor, and everything will be clean for you. And, and really, the dish in NIVs has small brackets, and because Jesus is talking about the inside versus the outside, and he's using the comparison of cleanliness on the outside. The real issue is cleanliness on the inside. And if you had your heart right, and if you did what was right, if the right stuff came out, you wouldn't be so much. Here's another way of saying this be more concerned about the cleanliness of the heart than the cleanliness of the hand. That's what he's saying. Be more concerned about the cleanliness of the heart than the cleanliness of the hand. Hygiene, that has its place. That's a good thing. But it's not all about just external things. It's got to be about the heart. It's got to be about who you are in the inside. And Jesus is challenging now this Pharisee, and he's speaking to all Pharisees in this sense. And then he goes into, again, what the Bible calls here as woes, starting in verse 42. Now, there are six of them when you count the number of times that he says woe. And a woe is basically a divine warning. It's a divine warning. He's going to give them six. And I think it's good. I'm going to list the six for you. We're going to go through these real quickly. And I think it's good for us to look at this from the perspective of not only the historical, but also the practical. And what I mean by that is, out of these six things, there's one... One out of the six that really and only exclusively applies to them. Otherwise, it's good for us to look at this list and ask ourselves, is there any, any little bit of Pharisee in me? It's good to kind of put ourselves in the story. It's a dangerous thing to always read the Bible as an observant, you know, outsider and think that it all applies to somebody else, all right? It's important for us to put ourselves in the story and not to twist scripture, you know, to make an application that isn't there, but at least to insert ourselves and to ask, you know what, Jesus is rebuking some people here. Is it possible that if he were to evaluate my life, he might see some of the same things in me? That's all I'm asking for us to do as we look through the list. Because here's the first one in verse 42. He says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint... Rue and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice 
and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So as we go through this list, I'm going to kind of summarize it in another way. And so here's the summary of the first woe. Jesus says you care more about outward duty than inward devotion. You care more about outward duty than inward devotion. And he talks about how they give a tenth. Now, the tenth is otherwise known in Scripture as the tithe. And they would bring a tenth or a tithe into the house of the Lord, and it was of their livelihood and of their possessions. Everything that they had, they gave God a tenth, and God instructed that as a matter of practice in the Scriptures. And so they were doing that. They were giving a tenth of your mint and your rue. Somebody can tell me later what rue is. I didn't look it up. And all other kinds of garden herbs. So he's like, okay, you're doing that. Great. You know, you're counting your, your ten beans and you're giving one to God. All right? Great. But you neglect justice and the love of God. And notice that Jesus doesn't dismiss the element of the tithe. He just simply says there are other important things you've neglected because he adds there you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Again, you know, another day for a whole teaching on the subject of the tithe and giving and offerings and all this kind of stuff. But in general, again, I hear sometimes people say the tithe is strictly an Old Testament thing. I don't see that. I'm reading New Testament here and I see that Jesus commends them for actually giving a tenth. It's just that their spirituality should not come out of their giving the tenth they should understand that they are neglecting, in addition, important weighty matters like justice and the love of God. So we're not under the law. It's not a legal obligation. Giving of the tenth, bringing our tenth to the house of the Lord, is not a legal obligation. But when I see it in its totality in Scripture, I still see it as a loving motivation. may not be a legal obligation anymore, but it is a loving motivation motivation when I think about how God has given me everything, everything I have, I'm going to honor him and worship him with at least a tenth. That's just kindergarten stuff. But, you know, you have to come under that same conviction because I don't want to impose it as a law. I offer it to you as something to pray about and think about because when you see what Jesus does here, he doesn't dismiss it. He says, that's good. However, You neglect justice and the love of God. You're more concerned. You care more about outward duty than inward devotion. So we have to be careful about that kind of thing. And then here's the second woe in verse 43. He says, Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. You love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Here's number two on our list. He basically says you care more about the praise of men than the praise of God. The Pharisees were seeking celebrity status. They loved the most honorable seats, and they loved when they were noticed in public. Oh, aren't you, aren't you one of those bigwig Pharisees at, at, at the synagogue? Why, yes. Yes, I am. Thank you very much for noticing. What's your name? You know, all this kind of stuff. And they fed on that. They love the praise of men. They love the notoriety. Now listen, you know, sometimes God will put you in a position where notoriety comes with what you do. And people will notice who you are and that kind of a thing. So, you know, you got no control over that. But you can control how you let that go to your head. And um, I think there's somebody, 
I heard give good advice if you find yourself in a position of you know, notoriety or, or celebrity or whatever. Just gather around yourself people who are not very impressed with you. Because then, then they will tend, you know, the people who know you the most, they're not very impressed. And, the, and so they'll keep you humble because they'll remind you you're not as much of a big shot as other people think you are. Uh, you know, I was walking through Costco yesterday and uh, going to Costco and going to Chick-fil-A, I feel like I'm going to church. I mean, I just have to say that I, because, you know, I, I see so many of you and people I don't know. And so and there was this uh, nice lady and a little girl with her and they they stopped me. And, you know, the little girl was wide eyed and and she's like, I watch you on TV because, you know, on the Internet, it's like they put it up on TV. And and, uh, you know, she's so cute and just so like she was, she was starstruck, really. And I and I was thinking to myself, if you spend five minutes with anybody in my family, you would not be all that wide eyed. But anyhow, um, that's just reality. So the Pharisees were hungering for this. And let me tell you, something, if you hunger for the praise of men, you will also end up being a man pleaser instead of a God pleaser, because the two go hand in hand. If you crave the praise of men, the praise of people, you will end up being a man pleaser because you have to keep feeding that beast. You know, if you want, I want everybody to like me, I want everybody to love me, then you will end up pleasing everybody to keep everybody happy so everybody keep loving you. See how that, it's a twisted, warped thing that happens in our psyche, and that's why we need to be more concerned about being a God pleaser than a man pleaser, and um, we cannot crave and desire the praise of people we need to instead be more concerned about the praise of God. And so Jesus calls them on this. Like, you Pharisees, you know, you, are, you want the most important seats, and you love to be greeted in the market, Costco, and all this kind of thing. And so he calls them on that. Well, here's number three. Look at verse 44. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. So number three, basically Jesus says, you love looking spiritual, but you actually defile people who come in contact with you. Now, under the Jewish law, a grave was something that you weren't supposed to touch or certainly to walk on because anything associated with the dead was considered unclean. So if you had contact with a dead person or a grave, you were considered, under the Old Testament law, unclean for seven days. Which is why, and then you had to go through a whole thing of purification, which is why the Jews would whitewash their tombs. They would put whitewash, they would paint them so that you would know, oh, this is a tomb, so that you won't step on it or touch it and then become contaminated. That's why they would always whitewash their tombs. And there's another place in Matthew where, where Jesus calls them, you whitewash tombs. You know, you look great on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. And Luke is saying a similar thing here when Jesus talks about how you're like unmarked grave. This is in an opposite sense. In Matthew, he says, you know, you whitewash tombs. You look pretty on the outside. On the inside, you're full of dead men's bones, everything corrupt. And kind of on the opposite way, Jesus also says here in Luke's gospel, you're like unmarked graves. So it hasn't been whitewashed. Nobody knows it's there. Somebody goes walking on it and accidentally gets defiled. And Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, you're not helping people spiritually. You're actually serving to be a bad example. And you're defiling people by your contact with them. Now, again, we have to look at ourselves in light of this list. You know, are we spiritually benefiting people or spiritually defiling people because of our own behavior and our own lifestyle? Are we like unmarked tombs and people come in contact with us and we're not really living for the Lord and we're not really surrendered to him so in essence what ends up happening is we just defile them we just serve to be a bad example instead of being a good example 
and rub off on them in a good way, we end up defiling them, and Jesus calls them on this. The Gospel of Luke takes a unique look at the life of Christ, from His birth to His ministry, His death and resurrection. Luke described Jesus as the Son of Man, one of his favorite ways to refer to himself. Jesus was God in human form, showing all of us what it means to live a completely sinless life. There was no fault to be found in him, yet Jesus was still nailed to a cross. But his death had purpose too. He stood in for you, taking the punishment your sin deserves. And then he rose from the grave, conquering death and the evil one. What an amazing Savior this Son of Man truly is. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus, or would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out service times and more information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and be able to download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know